Good morning. Uh, when we were setting this series up, um, originally we thought of, of splitting the bit that Ben did two weeks ago into two weeks. And Ben came up and said, oh, no, I've got a great idea. It would be much easier for me to do all that in one week. And I said, yeah, that's, that's fine, you do that. And then you can do a week on Jesus in the whole Bible. Uh, so in my naivety, I just said, yeah, fine, great idea. And then I thought about what he just landed me with. And um, so here we are, um, a week on trying to look at, at this immense topic. And, um, uh, well, the Lord will take us forward. Um, we're going to start, uh, forgive me if I'm just trying to get into a position where I can kind of see out the corner of my eye that the presentation is behaving itself. So we had last week, no, two weeks ago. So last week Rodney spoke and it was kind of, uh, it wasn't in the, the same series. So um, I haven't had a chance to, to listen to that yet. But, uh, so I'm picking up from where Ben was two weeks ago with this. By the way, um, all of this PowerPoint and uh, some notes that go with it, I've already emailed to Liz. Liz will send them out. But there, there's, I warn you now, there is just far too much information in this to take in. Uh, don't even try to, to keep up with some of the information. If you really want to, to review it, um, then you'll get the, the, uh, the presentation and some of the notes sent to you. If you're somebody that doesn't uh, receive email, then um, let Liz know, and there will be copies available for you next week. Okay. Um, the big story we had from Ben, it was, it was immense. It was... Uh, it was kind of Cecil B. DeMille type stuff. Oh, he doesn't do those anymore, does it? Who is it now? Steven Spielberg. It was, it was incredible. It was a picture of the whole thing. The question is, where is Jesus in all of it? We know Jesus is in the Gospels, and we hear quite a lot about him in Acts, and every now and then he gets a mention in the epistles. Um, but there must be something else in the rest of Scripture that we can go to and find him in. The entire Bible is about him. The Old Testament says he's coming. The, New Te- uh, the Gospel says here. The book of Acts proclaims him. The epistles explain him. Revelation says he's coming again. And that's the Bible in a nutshell. There you are, sermon over. I'm going to sit down. We can go. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, just for a little bit more detail. Uh, I was reading this only... I kept, this is just one of the, the wonderful things that happens with God. I, I was set a, a, some time aside to prepare for this, and I happened to be at this point in, uh, in reading Luke's Gospel. And uh, I read this, and it was amazing. It just uh, spoke to me very, very powerfully. Um, it's the resurrection, the morning of the resurrection. Uh, the disciples do not know what's going on. A couple of them head off to a place called Emmaus, And uh, on that journey, they're joined by somebody who begins to unpack the Bible for them or their scriptures as they understand it, the Old Testament as we understand it, in a way that they had not seen. We don't know uh, who both of these people were, but uh, they they don't seem to be numbered amongst the 12 apostles, but they do seem to be people that were familiar with Jesus. They'd been on that journey with him. Um. And uh, where am I going to pick this up? I think I'll probably pick this up uh, 
chapter 24, verse 25. 25. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the Scriptures. Let me just say here, when the New Testament talks about the prophets and referring to the Old Testament Scriptures, it's basically talking about all of the Old Testament apart from the first five books. They tended to call that uh, Moses' writings because they imagined that he wrote all of the first five books. The rest they called the prophets with one or two exceptions. So it's not just the bit that we think of as the prophets. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? In other words, it was all there for you. Didn't you understand? Uh, they obviously said no. Um, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The, uh, the Passion Translation puts it like this. Then he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scripture. He carefully unveiled to them. He took a veil of something carefully so that they could see the revelation about him through the whole of scripture. He started from the beginning and he explained the writings of Moses and all the prophets showing how they wrote of him and revealed the truth about himself. Jesus, at another point, before his crucifixion, said to um, teachers of the the law, you are busy analyzing the scriptures, frantically pouring over them in the hopes of gaining eternal life. Everything you read points to me. In other words, these were experts in the scriptures, and they read them and they knew them down to the finest detail, but they didn't know Jesus. They didn't see Jesus in them. You still refuse to come to me so that I can give you the life you're looking for. Eternal life. So we can see that in the, uh, the Old Testament, there is a lot for us to discover about the life of Jesus. So we're going to have uh, a little bit of a look at that. I'm going to try and go through some of it. Uh, we'll go very quickly. I'm going to go through literally the whole of the Bible. I don't know how we're going to manage. But I need to, to give you a, a few clues. Firstly, um, Jesus the man is not there um, because he wasn't born yet. That's obvious. Um, there are one or two bits that's, uh, where there is a person, a man, and we're going to look at one of those, and we think, is that Jesus? I mean, yes, it was the Son of God. It was the second person of the Trinity, but it wasn't Jesus because he hadn't been born. The second person of the Trinity, he is there. He's right there at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And a few weeks ago, I tried to explain how Jesus is the living word. He is the, he's the living expression of God. The Messiah, the promised one, the chosen, the anointed one, the deliverer, he isn't there. But the promise of him is there. And it's clearly signaled by many people, events and things. So there are lots of signposts to the Messiah. And that's what Jesus was saying to the the teachers of the law. He said, look, you've got all these signposts. It's almost like sat-nav. It's like sitting in the car with your sat-nav and then just ignoring it and just saying, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm much more interested in the colors or, or whatever it might be. Um, there are three particular things to look for. There are direct prophetic statements. Uh, probably one of the best known is Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us is born a uh, son, 
untossed born a child, etc., etc. You know that one. We've just had that uh, Christmas celebration and we use that a lot. Um, there are people who reflect aspects of Jesus. Um, they're sometimes called types. Uh, David is a really great example of that. There are lots of things about David's life that reflect things that we would see in Jesus' life. That's why David was called, uh, Jesus was called the son of David. Um, just a word on these, these types. Some of you will think, I've never heard of that before. Some of you will think, oh yeah, types. And, and it's, a, it's a kind of idea in theology. Let me just say, some people um, have taken this a bit too far at the time and they see everything in the Old Testament as a type and then they try and, and hunt through uh, the New Testament to, to find the equivalent. They say, oh yes, here's, uh, here's a, a, a daffodil and, and you know, somehow this apostle was the daffodil or Jesus did this with a daffodil or, or something like that. No idea why I picked daffodils, I just did. Um, we can get a bit carried away with, with types, but they, there are things for us to watch. There are things for us to pick up. Um, and the third thing to look for, other actions or events, also types, that illustrates something of Jesus to us. For instance, the law, the whole of the law, illustrates Jesus. The law was a, a schoolmaster. It was a guardian up until Jesus. This, the law was there to give us and to give the, the people guidance until Jesus came to fulfill the law. But there are echoes within Jesus, uh, within the law of, of who Jesus was. Okay, so here we go. With, with Genesis. As I say, some of these things I'm just going to rattle through really quickly. This is my purpose. The reason I am going through so much information is to allow the Spirit of God to get hold of us and just to say, look at Jesus everywhere. Everywhere you look, he's there. You can't read through much you certainly can't read through any book in the bible but you can't read through much of a book in the bible without encountering something that signposts us toward him or something that is is such a close figuration of who he is that it touches our our hearts um and my my prayer is that through the morning and through the next 25 minutes or so the Holy Spirit will unveil for you things and you'll go, oh, I see something I hadn't seen before. Uh, so that's my, my prayer. Uh, I'm not going to turn around and make sure that everything's heaping up with me. So if um, what I'm saying and what's on there gets out of sync, somebody just you know, throw something at me, uh, preferably money. But um, Okay, we're good. Right, uh, Genesis 3.15 is the first one that most people agree on. Um, this is a, a sermon where the, uh, uh, the congregation is Satan uh, and God is the preacher. He said of Jesus, he will strike your head. In other words, you are going to get crushed, um, but you will strike his heel. That's the crucifixion. That's the death of Jesus. He didn't mention then to the enemy that uh, Jesus was coming back. Let's surprise him. Let's not spoil the surprise for him. And this is apparently the proto-euangelion. Um, yeah, wow, who knew that? The first mention of the gospel, the, um, the gospel, the evangel, that's where the, uh, the angelion comes. Uh, I looked that up, okay? Don't think I knew that because I didn't. Um, Genesis 3, 21. The Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. An animal was slain. There was blood shed in order to provide a covering. The, uh, Adam and Eve felt shame. 
and there was bloodshed, sacrifice made in order for God to cover their shame. Genesis 4, the blood of Abel's sacrifice is a better offering than Cain's. Cain's offering was not acceptable. It was a it, was a, uh, it wasn't even the first fruits. It was just, well, have, have some of this, God. But Abel took the best, and that's why his sacrifice was acceptable. Genesis 14, 18 to 20, we come across this really interesting character called Melchizedek, the priest. Um, we'll pick him up again later on. Um, there are some references for him when you get this, have a look at them. Psalm 110, verse 4, Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 6. He is a person who is clearly a type of Jesus. Abraham, the father of faith, the the father of the Jewish nation, he made an offering to this priest. He gave something from what he had. I mean, he'd earned it. He'd gone and he'd beaten these people up and, and got all this loot from them. And Melchizedek came out and said, hello, Abraham, what are you doing? We don't know anything else about Melchizedek except that he came out, met Abraham, and he was a priest. That's all we know about him. And Abraham gave him a tenth. Um, it's a prefiguring of Jesus. Genesis 22. Um, Abraham is tested with his only son, okay, the son of the promise, his only son. He's, uh, Abraham is, is tested to go and sacrifice him. He ends up not having to sacrifice him. And what does God provide? He provides a ram, a, uh, a sheep. It's not the lamb of the Passover, but it is a provision for the sacrifice so that the son is spared. And uh, also in Genesis, the whole story of Joseph. I haven't put the reference down. It's the last 20 chapters or so of of Genesis. The whole story of Joseph being one who goes ahead, who makes provision, who welcomes the family, who who is ruling, and then um, protects the family prior to them making a journey into the promise. Okay, that's Genesis. Now into Exodus. What's up? Yeah, I know. There's a lot. You'll, you'll get the point by the end. If you don't, just the coffee's ready. Just go and help yourselves. I'll just carry on. The entire story of Moses, he's a deliverer for God's people. He leads them into a place of promise. Have you thought about that? Moses leads these people to a place of promise. It's the promise God has, who gave to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. Moses is the person who takes them there. Um, and then... Uh, Exodus 12, 6 and 7, just a specific reference here to the Passover, which is a clear prefiguring. Do you know Jesus was crucified at the Passover? There was darkness from 3 until 6. At the, the twilight, 6 was twilight. Twilight was the time that the Passover lamb was sacrificed. That was the time that Jesus died. That's a really, really strong uh, indication. Um, 16, manna from heaven. Okay, Uh, The bread from heaven provided daily, fresh bread every day. We still talk sometimes figuratively about fresh manna. We want fresh input from the Lord every day. Exodus 17, there's a rock. The people need water. Moses comes along and he follows God's instruction to strike the rock. The rock splits. Water comes out, the living water. Out of your innermost being will flow streams of living water out of what? Out of the rock, the rock of Jesus. He is the rock on which we build our lives. When we build our lives on the rock, we get access to living water. And uh, the whole of the preparation of the, the tabernacle, without, I mean, it's a, you know, each of these subjects is a book in itself. So um, 
if you've never really kind of looked at the tabernacle, just go back and, and read through some of the preparation and try and just say to the Lord, show me something of where, where there's a prefiguring uh, of Jesus in this. Right, Leviticus. Who's ever read Leviticus and taught crumbs? That was boring. Yeah, come on. The first few times I read I just thought, what is all this? And then gradually I began to understand it. And Leviticus became one of the books. I think, oh, this is so exciting. Um, uh, all the festivals, all the sacrifices, all the offerings, they all point where? To Jesus. Every single thing. Don't think, oh, that was a bit strange. Why did they do that? Yeah, there were some strange things, but it was a long time ago. Stuff was different then, but they all point to Jesus. Um, this one, if you don't know this story, this is brilliant. This is at the, the Day of Atonement. Have I got the right one up there? Uh, oh, I'm, I'm way ahead of myself. There we go. At the, the Day of Atonement, the Day of Forgiveness that the Jews had, one day in the year when the high priest could go in, he could sprinkle blood on the, uh, uh, on the, the altar, he'd sit on the mercy seat, he'd obtain forgiveness for the whole people, and then they'd take two goats, uh, one of which would have been sacrificed, the other one they took off into the desert and they just let it go. And the priest would lay his hands on the goat before they let it go to symbolically transfer the sins of the whole people onto this scapegoat. If you've ever wondered where the term scapegoat comes from, it comes from Leviticus. It's a prefiguring of Jesus, removing our sins from us. And Leviticus 16, the high priest, just lots and lots and lots there. Jesus, of course, is our high priest. Uh, That's picked up in, in Hebrews a couple of times. All right, uh, you'll be pleased to know we're going to move a little bit quicker from now on, but I'm just, you know, building up momentum. Um, so I'm now on to, uh, you'll see all the, on the, is that the right? That's the right-hand side. You'll see the books there. So you'll be able to tick them off as we go through them, and you'll think, oh, thank you, Jesus, we're nearly there. Um, but actually, we're only in, uh, jo- getting up to Joshua right now. Um, so one from each of these books. Uh, Numbers 21.9. There was a, a, an instant in, and I'm assuming a, a bit of foreknowledge here with some of these things. If you're sitting there and thinking, I didn't know that, sorry, I don't know that one, that's okay. That's okay. It's just a provocation to, just bless you, uh, to go back. Every, why is it one person sneezes and you get about six or seven? I'm up here getting all the germs, folks. Come on. Pray for me. Um, or maybe I just need an umbrella or something. But uh, you can go back, you can pick these up and, and read them. So, um, uh, People basically needed to look at this thing Moses was sticking on a pole to, uh, to, to get healing. You're thinking, hang on, why is that a snake? Why is Jesus a snake and isn't the snake the serpent and so on? Uh, <coughs> I could explain all that, but I haven't got time. Um, you just need to know that uh, something was lifted up and everybody looks at the thing that's lifted up. Um, Jesus said, I'm going to be lifted up. It was lifted up on a pole. Jesus was lifted up on a cross. Uh, it saved the people. They found healing. Uh, in Deuteronomy, um, we, we get these places called cities of refuge. So uh, Moses takes, well, Moses doesn't take the people into the land. He prepares them to go into the land. And uh, he divides the, the land up. So uh, Ben showed us a really uh, good map, which I deleted because I didn't need it. But it showed where all the, the, the tribes were. Uh, and they all had their cities. But in the, the land... Uh, were called uh, places called cities of refuge. And if you had committed a crime, um, basically you could do a runner. If, it was, if you were being chased unjustly, you could go and find refuge in one of these cities. And um, the cities, they, they had a kind of apron around them that uh, once you, you got there, you were getting under the, 
excuse me, the jurisdiction of the, the city, but once you were in the city, you had to stay in the city, inside the walls, to be safe. Legally, nobody could touch you, and that period lasted until the high priest died. So you had to hope that the high priest was an old guy. Okay? And then when the high priest died, it was like the slate was wiped clean and you could, you could come out. Those cities of refuge, and they covered the area that they had covered most of the, the land. Um, Jesus is our refuge. We run to him when we're in trouble. Uh, does that say Joshua? Brilliant. Joshua, the high priest. The person of Joshua, uh, not the high priest one, sorry, the, the other one. Um, Joshua and Jesus, they come from the same root. They mean the same thing. Jesus means one who saves. Joshua means one who saves. Uh, Jesus in Hebrew is called, uh, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I believe it's pronounced Yeshua. And um, the root is the same. Joshua leads the people into the promised land. But get this, this excited me. This is one of the things I got really excited about. Um, Joshua crosses the, uh, the Jordan. There's this spectacular thing. He does the same thing that he saw Moses do with stepping into the water, the water's part. People of Israel, I don't know, probably two or three million of them by, by this stage, they, they tromp across and um, they get the other side and some bloke with a sword appears in front of Joshua. Now Joshua was the kind of big burly commander and he says, whoa dude, or something, some kind of Hebrew equivalent. He says, who are you with? Are you with them or are you with us? And the guy says, no, you're with me. Basically, I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord. Now, often, an angel is shown to be the the commander of the armies of the Lord. But this particular character says, uh, Joshua, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. Angels don't do that. Angels never give a command to to worship them. In fact, they, they say, no, don't bow down and worship me. In Revelation, the angel says to John, don't do that. I'm not to be worshipped. He's the one to be worshipped. But this person knew he was to be worshipped by Joshua as he entered the, the promised land. Um, I reckon Jesus is certainly the second person in the Trinity is a, is a pretty strong candidate for that. I hadn't realized that before. I hadn't kind of twigged that. You probably all knew that. But um, that excited me. He's there. He's there just as the people are about to, to enter the, the land. Okay, judges, judges to Job. You can see we're, we're picking up a bit of speed here. Um, in Judges, Jesus is judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, Jesus is the kinsman redeemer, the, the picture of Boaz as somebody who, who redeems and, uh, from within the family. Um, in 1 and 2 Samuel, Jesus is the Lord's prophet. Samuel was the prophet of, of God, but he's a prefiguring of Jesus because of what he does. Um, uh, also, the life of David. Jesus is the son of David. I mentioned that earlier. David is a clear, clear type of Jesus. So many aspects of his life. Not every aspect, because David was a person, okay? Don't think, oh, David was Jesus. No, David wasn't Jesus. David was a person, uh, not filled with the Spirit of God. He wasn't born of a virgin, but he is an example. Uh, one and two kings. Jesus is the ever-reigning king. Uh, in Chronicles, we get the glorious temple and the wisdom of Solomon. Jesus is wisdom. Wisdom is always a, an example of Jesus. We get that again in Proverbs. Um, in Ezra, we had Zerubbabel, who was the rebuilder of the walls. He is a type of Jesus. In, um, 
if you, when you go on to Zechariah, uh, which we looked at a couple of years ago, and you look at the prophetic uh, occurrences in Zechariah, you can see that again because it's talking about this same person, Zerubbabel. Nehemiah was another rebuilder. He was a restorer. Um, I don't know, it was something like 120 years they were trying to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah came along and they did it in 56 days. Um, in Esther, which is, uh, people always say that's the only book in the Bible that, uh, that doesn't mention God. No, it doesn't. But Mordecai, uh, who is Esther's uncle, is a clear example of somebody who, who protects. It's a, it's a figure who, who he brings the opportunity for salvation. Esther's the one who has to go to the king and she takes all the risks. I know that. But uh, Mordecai is, uh, is the example of Jesus there. And Job. Job is a picture of one who suffers greatly, but then is blessed more greatly. Jesus suffered. You know, it's, it's, uh, I know Jesus has triumphed. I know he reigns in glory right now. Um, but he is the servant who suffered. And Job suffered. And yet through his sufferings, just as a man, with all his misunderstandings, God restored to him. Um, this is an aside. Uh, Job had things stolen from him, and God restored double. There is a principle in Scripture. It's not the only place you find it. There is a principle where God says, I will give you back double for what's been taken. If you're... And Bex was praying for... Uh, uh, encouraging us to, to pray for miracles this morning. You know, For some of us, those miracles are to have things restored. Um, let me give you a promise from God. He always restores more than was taken. When the enemy steals from us, God steals back from him and says, look, you, can do, you think you can do that, but I can do this. Um, that one's for free. You don't have to pay for that one. Psalms, right? You thought we were, we were getting going really quickly, but we're not, because now we've gone into Psalms. Psalms is brilliant. There is so much about Jesus in Psalms. These are the key Psalms. 2, 18, 16, 22, 45, 69, 89, 109, 110 and 118. I really wanted to read Psalm 22, but I thought I'm never going to have time. Psalm 22 is a must read. If you haven't read it recently or you don't know it, go back and read it. And just think, this psalm was written by somebody who worshipped God a thousand years before Jesus. And some of the imagery within it is astounding in terms of its prophetic uh, direction. Um, In Psalm 2, he's the son of God. In Psalm 16, the resurrection is prophesied. In Psalm uh, 22, uh, which I've just spoken about, um, he was despised and crucified and so on. And in Psalm 69, hated without cause. Those are just some examples. Um, uh, Right, we're moving on. The wisdom literature, Proverbs 1 to 8. Jesus is the wisdom of God. He's present from the beginning. That first eight chapters. It talks about wisdom the whole time. Actually, talks about wisdom in the uh, um, female gender. It talks about her, wisdom. She, 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 which is really interesting seeing as wisdom is Jesus. I'll leave you to go away and think about that one a little bit. Um, but he is present from the beginning. That's how God formed the earth. Did you know there's a creation story in uh, Proverbs? Do you know there are eight creation stories in the Old Testament? So if you're one of the people that thinks, hmm, don't understand all this sort of creation stuff then read all eight stories and uh, that could really confuse you for a while um and then song of songs 
Jesus, the lover and the bridegroom. I mean, he's, it's so clearly... I mean, Song of Songs is almost the gospel of the Old Testament because it's so specific about Jesus. Right. Isaiah. Now, the reason I've singled out Isaiah is that um, lots and lots of, of other books, you know, they've all got little bits of, of stuff about Jesus. Isaiah's got this much. I mean, it is, it's a big book anyway. It's 66 chapters. But the, the references to Jesus, the, the pointing to Jesus within it is absolutely immense. And five chapters in particular, um, which are often under the title, The Suffering Servant. Um, again, when you get this, if you've never read through these chapters, I strongly encourage you to do it. Because it talks about Jesus it's looking forward at Jesus who will suffer. Isaiah was not um, a, uh, a bad news person. Isaiah was full of good news. Isaiah 40 onwards is just mind-blowing and exciting. But these five chapters speak particularly about Jesus. And the must-read is Isaiah 53. Again, if you don't read very much and you think, oh, I can't be bothered reading all that, that's fine. Read Isaiah 53. Um, so that's two chapters you've got to read. Uh, I think they're the only must-reads I've put on this. So uh, you really, you do yourself good uh, and uh, you'll just see so much more of Jesus and, and God through all of this. Okay, the rest of the prophets. Look at that, they're all on one page. That's good news, isn't it? Okay, I'm going to read this to you because uh, I couldn't be bothered to type it all out, frankly. And um, it's just, uh, well, I... I found it exciting. What I find exciting is that in each of the prophets, there are aspects of Jesus that are identifiable, that across the whole of them give a much rounder picture. So, uh, Jeremiah and Lamentations, the weeping prophet, Ezekiel, the son of man, Daniel, the son of man, coming in the clouds of heaven, Hosea, the bridegroom, Joel, the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. What was the book that Peter referred to at Pentecost when he preached to the people? The book of Joel. Amos, who's the burden bearer. Obadiah, the mighty saviour. Jonah, he's the forgiving God. You know the story of Jonah. Jonah is a prefiguring of Jesus. Why? Because he was in the belly of the whale for three days. Okay? And if you never really thought about it, Jesus was dead in the grave for three days. And if you read uh, Jonah carefully, I think you'll see that Jonah was dead in the belly of the whale, the fish, the whatever it was, however you understand that. I think he was dead for three days. Now, I'll let you think about that, and you can uh, come back to me later. Uh, where have I got to? Jonah. Micah, the messenger with beautiful feet. Nahum. Nahum. That's how they pronounce it, apparently. Um, the avenger of God's elect. Habakkuk, the great evangelist, crying for revival. Zephaniah, the restorer of the remnant. Haggai, the cleansing fountain. Zechariah, the pierced son. And Malachi, the son of righteousness. If you're... Uh, getting to any of those prophetic books and you just think what's this got to do with me is it just telling me something about the old testament yes it is but each of them is telling you something about jesus they all look forward to the promised messiah and they show different facets but then roll on the drums please that's okay yeah the sound of silence for 400 years Why does paper always stick to itself? Jesus arrives. 
So we've had, thank you, we've just had, I thought it deserved a little bit more than that, but never mind. Um, we've just had thousands of years of preparation of people pointing to the Messiah, saying the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. He's going to be like this, he's going to be like this, he's going to be like this. And then Jesus appears, and guess what? He's exactly like that. He's exactly like everybody's been saying for hundreds and hundreds of years. So he is proclaimed in Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's the miracle worker. In Luke, he's the son of God. In John, uh, sorry, the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. And in Acts, he's the ascended Lord. They all show different aspects of who he is. And then Jesus is explained in the epistles. Uh, Okay. Romans, he's the justifier. Corinthians sees the last Adam. Galatians sees the liberator. Ephesians sees the riches of God. Philippians, he meets every need. Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead. Thessalonians, he's the soon coming king. Timothy, he's the mediator between man and God. In Titus, he's the blessed hope. In uh, Philemon, he's the friend that's closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's the blood that washes us clean. In James, he's the great healer. In Peter, he's the chief shepherd. In John, he's the everlasting love. And in Jude, he is God, our Savior. You cannot go anywhere in the Bible and not meet Jesus. And then in Revelation. Revelation is all about Jesus. I know there are lots and lots of strange and unusual things in Revelation. Just remember this. It's all about Jesus. It's all to do with Jesus. He returns as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, Revelation 1.7, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Revelation 5.5, he's the Lion of the tribe of of Judah. Revelation 19.13, he's the Word of God. Revelation 19.16, he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And in Revelation 22.16, almost at the end of the Bible, he is the bright morning star. He was light at the beginning, let there be light. And he's the bright morning star at the end. Remember, wherever you go in the Bible, Jesus is there. The entire Bible is about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament says he's coming. The Gospel says here. The book of Acts proclaims him. The epistles explain why. Revelation says he's coming again. And that is the Bible in a nutshell. Why have we done this? When we understand this better, the more we understand this, whether it's you read it on an app or uh, whatever you read it on, the more we can encounter Jesus. The more we encounter Jesus, the more he changes us to be like him. The more he changes us to be like him, the more other people encounter him. You want other people to encounter Jesus more? Just allow your heart to be changed more to be like him. So, uh, an ABC to remember. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. By the way... um, That's the website that I I took a lot of this from. I had a lot of help from other people doing this. uh, So if you want to go back, um, there's a huge chart and uh, it just has lots and lots and lots of references and you can go through and and check them out yourself. There's an A, B, C. A, um, uh, attend the 29th, 30th and 31st of March because we're going to be going through the Bible again in another way. We're going to seek more understanding of who this wonderful, wonderful Saviour is. 
be familiar with the Bible. If you were sitting there saying, I don't know half of what he's talking about, that's okay. Just become more familiar with it. There's so many opportunities for you to do that. So such a, a rich variety of uh, uh, stuff on the net. And I mean, most of what I've come across is, is good. You know, and you'll you'll know fairly soon if, if something isn't. You start to go through it. This is a bit strange. Um, if you're not sure, just talk to somebody you think might know a bit more. Um, and see, continually rejoice in Jesus. Whether you're reading Leviticus or Job or Isaiah, whatever it is, continually rejoice in Jesus. Let's pray. been bombarded with information this morning let's ask the holy spirit to uh, highlight something for you that you can take away from the morning that's in your heart not something that's just in your head but something that's in your heart you're busy analyzing the scriptures frantically pouring over them in hopes of gaining eternal life but everything you read points to me Everything you read points to me. It's not me that's saying that, that's Jesus. Everything you read points to me. They still refused to come to him so that they could receive the life that they were looking for. Eternal life. We're looking for eternal life, Father. And we want to have greater and greater experiences of knowing you, of understanding you, wisdom that comes from you, insight, life that we receive through understanding what you have given us. Will you do what you did for those two disciples when they were feeling so devastated that everything had gone? Will you unveil to us a revelation of yourself throughout Scripture? Will you explain to us all the writings so that it reveals truth to us. Amen.